Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes edgy secrets of B2B software creation. On today's episode, we have Udi Lettergore, CMO at Gong, and Elisa Fink, board advisor and former CMO of Tableau. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode five of B2B Category Creators. I'm guest hosting today. My name is Jason Whittup. I'm VP of Marketing at Metadata.io. Guest hosting for our CEO, Gil Alouche. Today, I'm incredibly excited. I've got two really marketing powerhouses uh, on the program today. Uh, one I actually had the opportunity to work with. Um, so first, I'd like to introduce Elisa Fink. Elisa is currently a board member at several companies. Uh, but most well-known for being the CMO at Tableau from, I think it was 2007 to 2018 when I was there. Um, growing that from $5 million to $1 billion. Uh, I also got to work for Elisa for the last year, I think, of your tenure there. Uh, and it was just a great experience for me. So, Elisa, welcome. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Jason. It's such a such a pleasure to be here and to see you and to talk with you. Uh, yeah, we had we had fun together, didn't we? Did some yeah. great stuff, and so uh, so it's a total pleasure. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, as you said, I, I was at Tableau from about five million in revenue to over a billion in rev. Uh, I left right before the Salesforce.com acquisition, which I'm really happy about. Didn't get trapped <laughs> in that. Not that that you know, but it would have delayed my retirement. And I have to say, I love being retired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I call it semi-retirement because. Um, as I joke, I'm I'm old enough to be retired, but too old for Denny's at four o'clock. So uh, so I'm serving on a few boards, <laughs> <laughs> serving a few boards, nice. doing a little advising and doing a little teaching at University of Washington, and it, and it's been really fun. So awesome. thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, and also we've got Udi Lettergore, who is the CMO of Gong for about the past four years, VPs of marketing at uh, other kind of technology companies before there. Udi, I've followed you for a while. I really, really love what you guys are doing at Gong from a marketing perspective. I also love the product. Um, and I really love what you know, the little that I know about what you do and what you value in your personal life. And so I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. So yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Gong too, in case there's somebody out there that doesn't know. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I'm Udi. As you said, I've been with Gong for a little over four years now. Uh, I was the first marketer at Gong. This is the fifth time I've built a marketing team from scratch. And the third time I've worked with my CEO, Amit Bendov. So for the past 22 years, we've been chasing each other across three different companies on and off. Um, so yeah, I could, I could probably cool give story. you a good run for yeah. your age, Elisa. <laughs> uh, we were not teenagers when we started. So... <laughs> Uh, that is that is the, the short version of my career. Um, I have been living in the Bay Area, in the San Francisco Bay Area, for the last two years. And prior to that, I was born and raised and, and spent most of my working years in Tel Aviv, Israel. So I've got that perspective. Even at Gong, I've, I've worked for Gong two years out of the Israel office and two years out of the San Francisco office, making it a, a unique perspective. Um, and uh, really, really glad to be here today. Oh, you got a little pooch back there. Yeah, <laughs> here's mine. He's our he's our he's our COVID dog, so to speak. We we arranged for him before COVID, but he arrived the night before, so it was nice. just some time to be a pest. But anyway, yeah, nice. it was your doggy. Let me see. Maggie's your... keeping oh, an eye yeah. on me over here. Yeah. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. All, all I can offer to this discussion is the bearded lizard, the bearded dragon I that I have. See, that looks like an aqu a, a, a aquarium back there. So that's cool. Look at that. Oh, nice. Litter, a the bearded dragon. A little higher. Nice. Let's see. Oh my God, it's so cool. That's <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. Say hi, Glitter. My husband would be jealous. <laughs> He wants another. We have two cats and two dogs, and he wants another pet. And I'm like, no more mammals. And then that was. These are pretty, pretty low key. To, yeah. To, okay. That's good to go. <laughs> nice. Do you guys have alcoholic drink with you? I did. I, I do. was waiting for you to ask. Sweet, yes. sweet. All right, great. I almost forgot, actually. So. It was nice of Sarah. Um, Thank you for sending that, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's a little thing that we've been doing. Um, we've only had one person on that doesn't drink. It was Dave Gearhart, but we sent him coffee. And here's what happened. I like asked the admin. I was like, hey. You know, he lives in Vermont. Like, hey, can you find a little like specialty coffee shop? You know, get a like a nice coffee because I knew he liked coffee. Starbucks shows up at his door. I'm just like, no, Kendria, no. I'm like, <laughs> so I emailed, I emailed Dave. I'm like, Dave, I can send lame gifts, but like, like Starbucks lame. So I'm, I'm sorry about that. So yeah, so I'm glad you guys. Oh, that's know. funny. So I've got it's pink. You can't quite tell, uh, but it's a haban strawberry habanero scratch margarita that I buy from this bar down the road. Uh, and they like marinate the tequila and habanero. They make this oh, wow. like strawberry habanero syrup. And then I just put it together. And that's their amazing. simple syrup. Yeah, it's really, really good. So that's I, what I love drinking. spicy drinks like that. Yeah, yeah, me too. My wife got me into it. Udi, what do you what do you got there? Um, I, I have a Villa Antinori, just Ooh. Italian red wine that uh, I opened the bottle for last night for dinner and had about half a glass left. So I'm like, let's Lock oh, this down before I open a new one for tonight's dinner. When I studied in Florence in my junior year of college, I actually studied at the Palazzo Antonori in downtown Florence. Oh, wow. The Antonori family that makes the wine. And so like every oh, wow. time I study, people drink Antonori, when I see it, I'm like, I got to drink that because I'm all a small it. world. You know, I'm originally from Israel, so we, we have more access to European wines in oh, Tel Aviv yeah. than, than I can find here at, you know, my oh. supermarket. Um, so I, I mean, they're great Californian wines, but I, I do miss some of the classic old world wine making countries. Awesome. Well, let's start off with a little cheers. We all got a little drink here. So I'll, yes. I'll raise a glass. Everybody. Thank okay. you. Take a little cheers. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Cheers. Yeah. Happy holidays. Just a couple days out. So as everybody knows, we, we're talking about creating categories in this podcast. And so we're really going to focus on that. We'll probably, you know, go off on a couple tangents here and there, but we're really going to focus on the categories. So to start, just so we kind of know like which categories we're talking about from both of your perspectives, Elisa, why don't you talk a little bit about the category that Tableau ended up in? I don't know how many different ones it, you know, it went through, but like at the end of the year tenure, uh, what category was it in? And maybe just talk a little bit about that category. Sure. Um, at the end of my tenure, or you know, we, we were in business analytics, business analytics platforms. Um, when I started, we were uh, considered a data visualization tool. Mm. Um, so, and you know, we didn't love that because at the time, data visualization was kind of a sciencey thing, a kind of a niche thing, and I, and and also it wasn't something that um, you know people had common use for. And so, pretty early on, I was like, listen, we need to be in the business intelligence. Uh, category, but we do it differently. And so it kind of birthed the model for us, which was like, find a category that you belong in, um, that, that people budget for, that people recognize the problem, break it. That's what we did. I feel like what we did is we broke the old business intelligence plat category. 
um, you know, we broke in, first of all, then we broke it and then we broke out of it. And we said, you know, it isn't these business intelligence behemoth platforms that, you know, take forever to install. Only specialized people can use them. It's a service model to everybody else. Frustrating. It's a different thing. And so for us, it wasn't it was category breaking and then category reinventing. Uh, yeah. So we ended up in a platform that Gartner renamed from business intelligence to business analytics. And mm. I think that's true. I think we did sort of help um, bring that movement forward. So it was a little bit more, it was revolution, but a lot of evolution as well, which, you know, with industry analysts and people out there, sometimes that's what you got to do. Well, and analytics was really pretty stuffy. You know what I mean? Like, and, you know, it, it's, I'm thinking back probably to like, you know, 2006, seven, eight. Yeah. when it was like, and I don't really even know the players. I just remember I would, I did some consulting and tried to bring in like MicroStrategy, you know what I mean? And like yes. Cognos and like yeah. these, and it was just like, yes, it's there, big. Was, there was no fun to it. It was just, yeah. it was just like, it was just so stuffy yeah. and just like square peg, square hole, you know, yeah. that kind of a thing. And, and Tableau, yeah. I feel like yeah. was the first one to really like, no, you know, this, this can be fun. This can be exciting. It doesn't have to be stuffy. You know, this doesn't have to be just for that deep yeah. analyst. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what it was. It was a heavy, uh, platformy install, months and months to deployment. Don't serve people or specialists that you're working with. Everybody else can get in line and wait for those specialists to do the work. <laughs> and then you get what you get. And yeah. that's the category that we entered into, um, you know, broke into, and then, like I said, broke it and then broke out of it, you know, and said, Hey, no, yeah. analytics is for everyone. Let's let's, this is a, this should be done differently. This should be fun. This should be powerful. This should be empowering to everybody, not just those precious few. So that, yeah, yeah for yeah. us, it was that kind of motion for category, uh, creation, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Udi, let's talk a little bit about your category. So again, gong, uh, this is an interesting one. Um, cause you know, maybe start like Elisa did with the category where, you know, how it's named now. Um, and I can't, I, I don't actually know if it's gone through, I'm assuming it's gone through some iterations. Um, it probably didn't start with uh, with where it's at now, but yeah, let's let's go through that same. So so it's, it's interesting to hear your your story, Lisa, on, on how it happened more as an evolution. I think at Gong, uh, we've been very intentional about our category play. And here's sort of the nutshell version of it. So for the first three or four years at Gong, we played within the conversation intelligence category that someone had coined oh, yeah. that term before we showed up shortly before we showed up and you know as a very early stage company the last thing you want to do is take on that heavy lift of creating a category so many companies like they do that and die because it's a it's a very very heavy lift we were first like okay let's build a product people actually want to use then we'll worry about the budgeting part and and where we fit in and and the category served us well for the first three or so years and then about 18 months ago we had increasingly come to the conclusion that we had outgrown the conversation intelligence category and we needed something new and i can share specifically the two challenges that we wanted to solve with the new category were one differentiation the very basics of conversation intelligence are you can record a call, you can listen back to it, and you can use that for coaching and other things. Now, that part of conversation intelligence was a novelty four years ago. It is now almost a commodity. I mean, we're recording this call on Zoom. That's Conversation intelligence didn't do much more than that four years ago. Uh, so this is quickly becoming a commodity. And we felt that by associating ourselves with conversation intelligence, we were frequently compared to these niche note-taking tools that that's all they did. They recorded a call. And we cringed every time we heard someone put us in the same category as these niche companies. 
because we already have a product that is so far reaching compared to everything else in the category. And we have a product roadmap that is light years ahead of what anyone in the space is thinking about even today, that we felt that it would become more and more difficult to differentiate ourselves within the conversation intelligence category. But if we were in a different category, we could just say, oh, those are conversation intelligence. That's, that's gong of 2016. Revenue intelligence is the present and the future. So that was one problem we set out to solve. The second one was, and this one's a, a little more subtle, we found ourselves in conversations with senior sales leaders who were the only ones who were actually at power to get budget to buy a system like Gong. And when the CRO of a large enterprise heard us describe our category as conversation intelligence, we usually got bumped down to someone like sales enablement or sales ops because the VP of sales or the CRO doesn't care about conversations. That's a tactical thing for a large sales organization. And we thought if we could only talk about something that the CRO cares about, we could get and keep her attention before getting bumped down to enablement. And to make a long story short, uh, we brought in um, a very talented woman on my team, Sheena Badani, who, whose job title is leading our category creation. That's what she does for wow. Gong. And huh. Within her first six months, she took us through the process, which is kind of similar to a rebranding process uh, that, that I'm sure you're all familiar with, but it was all about the category creation. And, and we came up with different options and we weighed them according to different criteria of, you know, uh, how many other companies are already using it and how would people get it and would this appeal to the senior sales leadership and who else is playing there. And we came up with revenue intelligence and we launched that just a little over a year ago. So this is still very new. We launched it specifically on October 8th of 2019 at our inaugural industry conference, Celebrate San Francisco. And Amit, our CEO, got on stage and gave his keynote and the press release went out that day and the website updated and all the materials updated. And now we were a revenue intelligence company. And it was a very intentional move. It all happened in one day. And we've been pushing that since then. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit later about some of the things that we do to keep growing and maintaining that. Um, but I'll, I'll just... I'll say that so far we've seen some some amazing traction, uh, both with you know the huge enterprise deals that have become Gong customers in the last year, and we've obviously been able to get and keep the attention of the senior sales leaders there. Two um, very uh, reputable analysts like Constellation Research just today, of the day that we're recording this, they uh, they recognized us on their list of uh, best enterprise software whatever company of the year, and. And they talk about it as a revenue intelligence technology. Mm. So nice. this is now becoming yeah. a thing that the analysts are now using those words. A year ago, yeah. nobody was using these words. And now Gardner and Forrester and Constellation and Aragon and other analysts are becoming more and more familiar with our, uh, with, with our uh, vocabulary. And that's, that's where you want to be uh, when you're creating yeah. a category. That's an amazing story because, um, um, you know, being able to make that move. And then what CRO doesn't want to talk about revenue? Right? That's the one thing she cares yeah. about. It's in yeah, her yeah, title. Exactly. She's the chief so, revenue so, you know, officer. Have a, category, have a category people care about, you know, and that's, and yeah. I agree with you, conversational intelligence, you know, could be, okay, that's for my sales ops or that's for training or whatever, but revenue, that's my thing, you know? Yeah. But it, what's interesting too, I'm, I was just realizing like, our category that we were in when I joined was data visualization, small, 
uh, niche kind of category and we had to get out of it. And in a way, you know, but that's what we could deliver at the time. That's what we yeah. could deliver at the time. And in a way, I would say going similar, it's kind of similar, right? Conversational intelligence is, is what you were and what you could deliver at the time. But then you realize you can do more and you can, you can add more value and you can do bigger things. And I don't know if there's something to realizing that, you know, in a lot of startups, you start off doing one thing really well that's important. And then you try to use that as a as a as a as a as a, as a footstone or a foundation or a headstone, or not a headstone, <laughs> but <laughs> but as a starting point to um to 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 build into your big vision and your big ideas. Because I'm sure you guys always like us, we always had a big vision for like, hey, this 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 software is gonna change the world. You know, that's really yeah. we really believe that. And I'm sure you guys at Gong think the same thing. And we, we believed it was way beyond data visualization. And I'm sure you believed from the beginning, it was way beyond conversational. Exactly. Yeah, but exactly. you start somewhere, you know, that's kind yeah. of yeah. The, the, yeah. the story sort of behind Gong is that, um, you know, when Amit was the CEO of SciSense, so th this is a real story, uh, he, he had a quarter that he describes as a quarter from hell where <laughs> sales were going down, um, forecasts were not being met, and nobody could explain why. And you were looking at all the charts and dashboards and there was not even a clue to what was going on. And he started listening to a couple of sales calls. And if you've ever done that at a, a normal speed, you know how excruciating it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's horrible like to listen to one hour conversation. You have to listen for one hour. And when you're done, you only have a data set of one call. How are you gonna learn quickly what's happening across a sales team of a hundred sellers by listening to a couple of calls? It's just not scalable. And he was thinking there's got to be a better way of quickly gauging customer interactions and understanding what's really going on in my market now and not just listening to the opinions and excuses of salespeople and their managers. And that's how Gong was born. And Gong was born with the premise of presenting sales leaders and other sales professionals with a true grasp of their customer reality of what's really happening in all of their customer interactions so they can make better business decisions on which deals to focus on, which deals are going south uh, and give them leading indicators on these things, not just the lagging indicators. And so that, that was the vision from day number one. And the, the starting point was, well, we need some data from customer interactions. Let's start recording calls. And we did that and it was an instant success. And people love the idea of being able to not only listen to a call, but to search for a word and see where it came up and listen to the call at double speed and, and see uh, just like a table of contents you might get on a book, we can do that to a call now. We can see where the discovery started and ended, where the demo happened, where the pricing was discussed and where next steps were brought up or not. So that became an instant hit. And on top of that, just like you said, Elisa, we've been building other layers like deal intelligence of, okay, this is useful not only as an individual analysis of one call or helping a specific rep, we can actually rally the whole team around a certain deal that needs help and, and get market intelligence on which competitors are coming up more this quarter than last quarter and understand how our new messaging is landing or how the new pricing is being discussed. So there's so many other layers, but we definitely needed that first killer app as it's often called, to, to get that initial market traction and product market fit with. Udi, you, you mentioned Sheena, you hired somebody that actually is specializing in it. Did she have that experience from before? Has she done that before? Or like, what was, what was the, what's the, because that's not a normal title, you know what I mean? Or a normal role. So like, what's the makeup of that person? So, so it's a great question. So Sheena is kind of a mid-stage career um, marketing executive. Her last role was a VP of marketing at a, at a small startup. And so she's got some traction under her belt. She was looking for her next challenge. And originally she came in to interview for another role, which was uh, 
our uh, head of product marketing. And we really, really liked her, but for that specific role, we felt that she didn't have enough sort of vertical, deep experience. Product marketing is one of the toughest roles to hire for, as any marketer probably knows. And um, it's one of the few roles where we really value experience equally or more than potential. And happy to do a separate conversation <laughs> on how many of the roles I hire for potential rather than experience. And so we really liked her. And then we had another candidate that had more experience. We ended up hiring him for the PMM role. And at this, at this time, we were having those management discussions about a new category creation. And we knew that we needed someone to own this and facilitate this process. Otherwise, it, it would just fizzle out. And, and after Amit and I met Sheena, Amit, Amit suggested, why, why, don't we, why don't we hire Sheena to do that? Just offer her the role. And I'm like, that's a great idea. And uh, I pitched her with the idea. She was completely taken off guard because this is not the role she was interviewing for. So yeah. she took a, a, a few days to think about it. She talked to some of our investors and some of our customers. She did her due diligence and she talked to, to, to other mentors. And they, they told her that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, not only because of the role, but because of the company and the industry yeah. that she's joining and that she could really yeah. leave her mark. And I'm thrilled that she, she took their advice <laughs> and, and joined us. That's so awesome. she's, she's yeah. been learning as we go along and, and teaching us as we go along. And now she works with the industry analysts and with the press. And, and she, she uh, launched uh, the Reveal podcast, the Revenue Intelligence podcast. And she just crossed 52,000 downloads of her podcast episode. Something incredible. Like, she's, <laughs> That's crazy. She's rocking it. I'm excited when we get a couple hundred downloads of, of our podcast. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to shade, <laughs> no, no, shade no. like that. But, it gives me something stuff. to shoot for. It gives me something yes. to shoot for. <laughs> yeah. uh, cool. Okay. So let's talk about the intentionality of it. So, uh, so Udi, you already said, like, we went into it intentionally. So, Elisa, how about you? So, um, when you first started and you realized, okay, we're in the data viz category, was it a was it an initial focus area? Did you kind of like, or was it more like, oh, we're doing this thing, we're doing what we need to do, we're doing great, we're building the brand, we're building the company. Oh, and now, oh shoot, there's this category thing we need to figure out. So at what point, you know what I mean, in that did did you realize like category is important and did you happen into it? Or did you were you like, yes, let's do this category? I guess for me, I was pretty intentional about it, um, in part because I knew, again, if you don't have, we wanted to be grow huge, right? We wanted to be big. We, we knew, I knew that Tableau could sell enterprise deals. You know what I mean? At yeah. the time we were selling onesie twosie seats to analysts as a tool, as a tool, yeah. as a personal productivity tool. In fact, sometimes we got bucketed in personal productivity tools, oh, wow. which, you know, <laughs> um, maybe is okay for office, you know, but it ain't, okay. it, it really isn't, you know, in Adobe, but it really isn't where you want to be because they kind of leave it to people to buy individually and you sell one or two licenses. And we, I knew we wanted to be enterprise and I knew to go enterprise, you've got to be an enterprise piece of software born, uh, raised that way and blessed that way by the analysts, you know? And so a lot, part of it was definitely my recognition that God, if, if we're going to sell this into the enterprise, analysts have to be have to like it and know what it is and 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 endorse it and uh and if they don't endorse it at least recognize us you know at least yeah. recognize that this is a bona fide product that does this thing and they cover their certain categories and i knew we had to associate with a category in order to get that so yeah. um and and also i think um it just was it was clear to me you know it's just it was yeah. just clear it's just clear coming in that we needed to to be in a category 
or associated with the place where people have a problem, where they gather. The other reason yeah, why yeah. I like the model of break into a category, break it and break out is, and you mentioned this, Udi, was if you're little, man, you cannot invent your own category. You just yeah. don't have the money or the resources. So I want, I knew that was true. I knew we were going to be a different kind of product, but I knew it was also true that we couldn't have the, spend the resources and time and money to build our own category. So that's why I was like, we got to break into one where people are commonly aggregating analysts, you know, job roles, uh, media, you know, there's people there talking about this problem. We're going to make them talk about it in a different way. So we're going to break in, break it and break out. And so it was fairly intentional to, um, uh, to do that. I think just as a marketer, I kind of believe in the, um, what is it? Uh, recent trout old philosophy as of every market start or every customer starts with a position in mind. You don't just form fully, uh, you don't just, you don't end up in their brain fully formed exactly where you want to be in a way you start from mm. somewhere and you have to move to get them to move to where you want to be. So for me, it was yeah. like, okay, where are we starting? What's our journey, you know, yeah. to where we want to be. So that's why I sort of gravitated toward an existing category let's get associated with that, let's break it, and then let's break out of it and make it different and change it. So since I've been starting to just kind of pay attention to this a little bit more, categories seem to be like biological entities almost. You know what I mean? Like they come in, they rise, they fall, different ones come in, you know, it's just like this constantly evolving yeah. thing. And that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm at now is like, you know, we're at Metadata associated with the ABM platform category. And when I first took over, I was like, I don't want to be associated with that because in my experience, you it's a luxury to have an ABM platform. Like we all have to do ABM because that's the way you market to market. Well, that's the way you market to other businesses as a business. But like, is there really such a thing as an ABM platform or did companies come in with great technology, call themselves an ABM platform and then define ABM for the rest of us? You know, and that's my perspective on it. And I was like, I want to break us out of that. Like, we'll have to play an ABM for a while while we're small and while we're smaller than these others. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but we're more about demand generation. And we haven't really locked on like what that category would be. Because again, we're small. We're, we don't think we will name it, but we're just, the way I'm starting, I think is probably what you're talking about, Lisa, is trying to break it. Like you guys, ABM is not a platform. In fact, hint, hint, we actually might have a campaign that talks about that next year. Like ABM is not a platform, you know, ABM is a way you, you know, market to other businesses. So I find it kind of interesting, you know, what you said, because I think that may be what I'm doing unknowingly, you know, but realizing like, I don't really want to be associated with that. That's who we were. We're always in like the ABM reports and on G2, like with ABM. Um, it's like, that's okay for now, you know, um, but ultimately like I want to be different. And so maybe that's what I'm doing. I don't know. Um, well, that's one thing I love about MarTech and I love Mar MarTech. I love marketing technology and, and Gong included and, and metadata.io is man. And four years ago, God, and, and five, 10 years ago, what you could only imagine the possibilities. And now, dang, man, <laughs> you could do these things yeah. for realsy and beyond. <laughs> that's what I love. I mean, Gong, who knew, yeah. you know, metadata.io, who we could do that stuff you know yeah. so abm yeah. is a pretty new concept as a unified concept i mean people were doing abm tactics yeah. separately um unintentionally probably or intentionally but unconnected disconnected so so i hear you yeah, yeah like yeah. there's so many new categories coming out of martech i mean you know yeah, yeah. and you guys are both like well ABM it's hard is to follow them sometimes. Yeah, yeah. There's so many categories. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's, but it's good, like, because we need them, right? Because there's so many of these technologies out there. Like, we need categories, so we know how to compete. We know who we're competing with. Well, 
the um, buyer needs categories because man there's so yeah. many vendors out there it's hard to keep track of who does what and why and what how do you differ from that guy and this guy and give it to me straight you know that's the other thing i think that analysts try to do is try to tell you what they do rather than what they espouse in a soft mm. baloney-ish kind of way and i think I, I think that's great you know i think both of, you know both of you guys are straight about it but there are a lot of vendors are like okay tell me again what you do because that didn't make any sense you know yeah. <laughs> yeah let's talk about okay so we're you know you guys are both you're in it you know you're in the middle of it things are happening things are moving you realize okay we're doing this category thing um so like was there a time or a uh, an event, you know, maybe, or something that happened where you're just like, okay, you know, we're actually creating this category here. Like, there, was there something that precipitated that? Do you, that you remember even, you know what I mean? Um, Elisa, maybe we'll go with you. Uh, you know, um, I mean, when I came in, I think I'd always been a data user and I always was aware of it. So to me, I knew this, there was this category already. And again, that's why, like, as I mentioned and Udi mentioned too, it was like, like an evolution revolution kind of a thing. So, um, I mean, the most, I mean, I do remember, saying to people we have to subscribe to some of these analysts because in the world of business intelligence you know it's an it dominated thing and so you yeah. you need their help and i remember people on and it was a lot of money relative to our budget you know relatively speaking and i remember people on the exec team thinking what are you nuts man no we're not going to be eligible for a category for like another year or even a year and a half or two. And I'm like, exactly. That's why we got to start, you know, talking to them now, you know, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to take time. And let me tell you something, the days, I don't even think they're doing this anymore. When they would take briefings from, from vendors who weren't their clients. Oh my God. Uh, they would practically be snoring on the phone. You could practically hear them snoring. No yeah. criticism of any one or firm or one set of <laughs> oh, animals. Okay. Seriously. They're sitting <laughs> they're there the listening to conference calls from firms who are probably going to be out of business in five weeks, <laughs> like seriously. But when you yep. pay them, you're a customer, man. They, they have to listen to you. They have yeah. to hear your questions. You might not be paying them to, to, to write something nice about you, but you're definitely paying for Mindshare or a little bit of their yeah. time and it's worth doing. But I remember people, I remember being in an uh, executive team meeting, people looking at my marketing budget going, Elisa, really? God, that's a lot of money for that. And I was like, you know, I, I'm not like one of these analyst lover types, but I'm just telling you, we got to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Udi, do you, you know, what about for you guys? Did you sort of go through that sort of, or something much different? Because you invented a category really straight up. We did. And, you know, um, Anthony Canada, who was the CMO of Gainsight, uh, he, he wrote a, a book about category creation and he talks about it frequently. He's now at, uh, at Front. And uh, he, he has a great sentence in, in his book. And, and when he talks about categories, he said, you know, don't, don't wait for the analysts to define your category. They will show up after you've already built it and they will describe it for the rest of the world. And I think that's a great sort of eye-opening way of looking at it. If, if you're, you know, uh, in your early days of marketing for a company breaking out into a new category, creating it or breaking it, uh, don't expect the analysts to be the first to show up and say, yes, what he said, they're creating a new category. That's never happened and it's not going to happen. They are going to, de to describe it last after you've got a thousand customers there. And so I think we need to be very realistic about the expectations we have from analysts. Um, without naming names, the, the leading analyst firm in the world uh, was chasing me for three years at Gong before I became a paying customer. And I'm like, you know, we're going to become paying customers at some point. I've been their paying customer at previous companies, yeah. but my marketing budget was tiny in the first few years. And I'm like, 
I'm measured on demand gen right now. And what you may or may not write about me in 18 to 24 months, I'm not going to see that paycheck this year. You're going to have to wait. And after three years, and it was exactly the year where we knew that we needed a new category, that's when we became a paying customer. And, and now we're, we've got paying relationships with, with several of the leading analyst firms. And um, I think at this point, they want to hear from us as much as we want to talk to mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I would wait, like, sorry, analyst friends, like I know this is not like great for your income, but uh, you know, this is not the first thing that most companies should be, should be spending on unless you're like in specific niches, like security and other areas where you're selling to niches within IT that do go to the analysts first before making yeah. like big purchasing decisions, you might want, want to consider those relationships early. But if you're selling to the business, like I think Tableau was and, and like Gong is, analysts are not going to be your savior, not on day one and, and only much, much later. Yeah, I agree. And if the other thing I've noticed in talking to a lot of um, clients I advise and sit on the boards of, if you don't have a, a definite category that you recognize like you belong in and there there is not they're not doing regular writing or a quadrant or a wave or what have you about it, then you do not need to subscribe. I 100% agree. For us, yeah. we had this category. It was long established. We knew we wanted to break that one. We knew it was okay. We got to start breaking it. But you know, you're right. Even though we subscribed, there was a bunch. It took them a long time to to see the world the way we saw the world, and so they would write things that we were just like, oh, you know, God, really? Is that what you're writing? Ugh. You know, it really frustrated us at times. But uh, you know, it, eventually they get it. But if you don't have like a, you know, like I, I know a couple of companies where I'm like, uh, I don't know, man, you're not, you're, yeah. there's not a defined category yet. They don't have a quadrant. They don't have a this, they don't have a that, they don't, whatever, you know, the yeah. apparatus of a category to break, uh, don't invest. I, so yeah, I, I will, I a hundred percent agree with you Udi, on that one. Uh, if we hadn't had a defined category to break, there's, I wouldn't have subscribed because you gotta, you, they can't, you know, and they'll wait around, like you said, to define it. Um, maybe they'll use some of your input. You'll help shape it, but it's going to be a long ride. It's going to be. A long they are paid to play it safe. They, you know, yes, the, they yeah. are paid to pay it, play it safe. The old '80s yeah. saying of no one got fired for buying an IBM. That's exactly the world that we live in. They want to show you who the IBM of the year yeah. is, so you play it safe and you don't get fired. And That's exactly right. Yeah. There's very rarely a case where a, a young, fast-growing startup is going to be up there in the in the leaders' quadrant. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Got to wait. You've got to actually bring the market traction, and then go go show and tell to the to the analysts so they recognize it. It won't work the other way around. Yep. Yeah, I had a I had a good good really learn. I'll, I'll call it a learning experience with this here about eight months ago when I first took over here. Is Forrester invited us to participate in a, uh, a review? It was like a what do they call it? A new wave. So it wasn't like a full wave. New wave of ABM platforms. So I'm like, oh yes, shit, we got invited, like, let's do this, you know, my first time in, didn't have a lot of experience around me, so we're, we're, you know, just taking so much time to fill out the questionnaire, meet with the, the analyst, he, I, I think he's feeling me, you know, I'm like, oh, he's feeling me, he understands why I'm like, you know, ABM platform isn't a real thing, but, you know, we're still here, and 14 out of 14 is where we showed up, <laughs> It's like, oh no, oh no. But, you know, we were able to then kind of use that all, almost to kind of pivot us away from it. So we also like, we were already thinking of it before that, but that was another kind of like, okay, maybe we actually are onto something that, you know, we're not trying to really compete with ABM platforms, even though we kind of have to right now, but 
It was a learning experience. But, but Jason, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I was going to say the same thing. You're, you're <laughs> in the list of the only 14 startups yes, that were covered. Yes, that exactly. Year. And that is that is where I took it. I was like, I felt good about that part. Yes. What yeah. it's still to be in our position. <laughs> Uh, totally. You know, it happens to us when we're like named number two on something, we're like, oh, darn, what, what, what are these idiots missing? But then we're like, yeah, but it's only a list of like yeah. 10 companies out of the whole world. Totally. So we're, yeah. we're okay. But yeah, we're yeah. To be more. on the list is often, it's an, often an inclusion list. If you don't make yeah. their list. Yeah, whatever, I was, I was excited to be on the list. I was excited yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was it's disappointed like with how yeah. we showed up, yeah. but you know, yeah. it was okay. It was okay. So Udi, what about you? Was there like a time where... I mean, you, it sounds like you were super intentional about it, but was there a time, I'm sure there was, where you were like, okay, this is like catching on, you know, or do you remember, like, was there a feeling or did it, was well, that, it really just that, like- Here's yeah. like one testament, I think that, that's interesting. So last October, we, we did our first inaugural industry event. Uh, back then we called it the Revenue Success Summit because we actually had to put something on the calendar even before we picked out a, a name for the category. So that was the <laughs> Revenue Success Summit. And- uh, it was our first event. It was kind of humble. We had like 500 people show up at, at uh, SF Jazz in San Francisco. And then in February, um, we decided to take it on the road. And uh, by then it turned to the Revenue Intelligence Summit. We took it to New York, Boston, Chicago, Toronto, and we had hundreds of people show up at each event. It was, it was amazing. And just as we were about to take it on the road again in April to, to other states, um, COVID hit, of course. And Within two weeks, we pivoted to a virtual event. So we had our first virtual event in, in April and 2,000 people signed up. And then we did the second one in July and four and a half thousand people signed up. And we did our last one this year in October and six and a half thousand people signed up for that one. Wow. We're like, okay, this is catching on. This is six and a half thousand people who signed up for the Revenue Intelligence Summit. It is not the Gong Conference. If you look at the, if you go to celebrate.gong.io, you'll see how we, we think about the branding of this. It's all about revenue intelligence. The branding was specifically commissioned to look different from Gong's branding. It does not look like the Gong website. It doesn't even have our colors on it. And way at the bottom, there's a monochrome Gong logo saying this this conference bought brought to you by Gong. So we're taking the back seat. We are the the facilitator of this thing. Uh, we're bringing speakers that don't talk necessarily about Gong. Uh, of course, there's the odd customer or two on a panel that will mention us, but we yep. bring world-class speakers. We, we had Chris Voss, one of the last ones, talking about negotiation. Uh, we had Ariana Huffington talk about her experiences of, of getting through rejections and, and, and building her amazing enterprise. Um, and we had Kim Scott talking about radical candor. We, we, we have amazing speakers like that. And the industry is flocking, and all of this is under the, the, the wings of revenue intelligence on how yeah. the best revenue teams in the world are using data to run their teams better. And so this is how the idea is sinking in, you know, event by event, blog post by blog post, press release by press release, case study after case study, we're making this a reality. It's a, it's a marathon, yeah. it's not a sprint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, so I can't remember who I heard this. I think it was Mark Organ. I was talking to him the other day. Um, he founded Eloqua, so I was like, He's, he's on my short list. He has evidence to be an investor in metadata, so I get to talk to him. Um, he was talking about promoting the category. And so Udi, it sounds like you were, you're actually doing that as well. So it's not just promoting Gong in this category, but it's like, we're actually supporting the category itself. And if the, and I'm guessing it's like rising tide floats all boats, right? So it's like this category does well and we're the leaders in it. That's good for us. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I've got to tell you a, a, a great story that, um, you know, when, when someone asked me, put me on the spot uh, a few months ago and asked me, what's the best category building story you can think of? The first story I, I came with was not out of tech at all. It's, um, has anyone not heard the, the campaign uh, Diamonds Are Forever? <laughs> that is the best category building play that I know of. Uh, it's of course, uh, and uh, does anyone know which company actually paid for that campaign? I'm going to say De Beers. Yeah. Yes, you're right, Jason. You're okay, right. okay. Um, nice. Way yeah. back in the 50s. I don't know why I know that. No, yeah, that's not a diamond. I'm not a diamond guy. <laughs> so, but your wife is, that's what's the thing. <laughs> there you go. So way back, way back in the 50s, the beers, they went to their Madison Avenue uh, ad agency, uh, JWT in New York, and said, look, we, 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 we're sitting on this huge pile of diamonds in, in, our, in our warehouses. We need to get them moving. You need to come up with something. And, and JWT came up with the now, you know, immortal campaign, Diamonds Are Forever. And the amazing thing about it is that they did not mention the brand name De Beers in it. They weren't even in the commercials. They weren't on the print ads. Why? Because De Beers at that time owned 80% of the world's diamond inventory. And they were like, just like you said, Jason, let's promote the category. By default, we're the winner. I don't care if any, everyone else also gets more business. We own 80% of it. I just want to make the pie bigger. And that is the exact position that Gong is taking. The last thing I'll say about this is that, and few companies sort of get this right, it's easier to get your audience to agree on a common problem that needs to be solved than on the solution that they will use to solve that problem. Because once you're pitching your solution, you're now selling. Yep. When you're consulting and getting everyone to agree that we all want more out of CRM, we cannot continue to rely on manual data entry to understand what's happening in our business, everyone's nodding and agreeing with you. Good. Yeah. By the way, revenue intelligence is how you solve that. Now go pick the, the leading solution in the market to do that. Yeah. That is Gong's marketing. Yeah, I, like I agree 100%. I, I always have thought of categories as like common problems. That's what that is. If you think of a category as what's the problem we're solving, not what's the set of solutions we should be up against, but what's the problem? That's really how categories come together and it's people who have this problem who start to congregate together you know the analysts the customers the stories the vendors the you know just they start coming together and they're like what are we doing about this problem and they yeah. spend money on problems you know they, they yep. spend money on problems right yes. i spend money to solve a problem i don't spend money to buy a solution i spend money to solve a problem i you know and then yeah. buying a solution. No, no, nobody wakes up in the morning wishing they had a new drill but they do need a hole in the wall so yeah, exactly. you help them that's, solve that yes exactly it's all about the problem so that's why when you're defining your category it's like find where that problem is being discussed the people are the if that you know and, and it must be because you got to have a market and a market a big market with a big total addressable market where there's common people trying to solve this problem talking yeah. about this problem is that's a great category yeah and it, it, take, it takes a lot of i think sort of executive maturity to to go that route because the intuitive thing for most of us is just scream i'm the best i'm the best you've got to yeah. buy me just please buy me i'm the best you've got to buy me yeah. but and, and then spending your dollars. Imagine the boldness of, of De Beers, like spending millions on advertising campaigns without the brand name on yeah. it. That's incredible. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. yeah. unbelievable. Oh, I haven't cool. gone quite that far. You, you will find the <laughs> Gong logo on our campaigns, but, but you will find our slogan, which is now uh, uh, goodbye opinions, hello reality, revenue intelligence mm -hmm. by Gong. Gong is the smallest type oh, on interesting. that 
ad and poster and billboards and everything I do. It's not about Gong. Mm. It's about revenue intelligence and solving that problem. Udi, when you when you guys came out with that, were you the first ones to use that category name? We did find, I think it's either one or two companies that do something very different from Gong that yeah, also okay. use the words revenue intelligence. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. On their website. Yeah. And we're like, okay, we can live with this. We did a, yeah. a cursory trademark search. We trademarked what yeah. we could and what we needed to. And and you're, you're looking for you know clues that it's working. In the last 12 months, I can name at least three companies much closer to what we're doing that have now the words revenue intelligence plastered. That's where I was going to go next. Yeah. Like, have you seen others now adopt oh, that category? Name? Odds, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alisa, what, you know, in terms of like, what role did competition play? You know what I mean? So like you're, because you need competition, right? In the category. Yeah, yeah. So, it did actually yeah. play a pretty important role. And I have to give a lot of credit to two other firms that were in the same sort of headspace a little bit as, as Tableau, which was Click, Click Tech, yep. and a company called Spotfire. And um, oh my gosh, Spotfire got bought about a few months or six months after I joined. And I was like, oh, yay, when you get bought, man, that just kind of puts everything you do on hold for two years. So goodbye, Spotfire. That was sort of my thinking. <laughs> but Click, Click Tech was definitely a formidable competitor, especially in our early years. Um, and they were there. They were there also doing the same kind of thing, trying to break the category. But but they were kind of staying in the confines of a, a pretty technical solution for IT, or not just for IT, but trying to bring it to the masses, but but a little more traditional. And so I think Tableau just we just were we just went all in. I mean, in a way, it was so freeing. And I don't know for you yeah. guys at Gong if you have this, it, like the old story about Hertz and Avis. When you're number two, you try harder. You you mm. you have less to risk. You know, yeah. you can just play this game. You know, you you just go out there because you got a lot. You know, every time Click would, when I'd look at their website and I'd be like, oh my god, it's so good. Or, you know, this is so, they were ahead <laughs> yeah. of us for many years, and so it was just like, God, we got to push hard. You know, we got to be, yeah. we got to do it more. We got to say it more. We got to be out there more strongly about what we're breaking and how we're changing and we're democratizing data and bringing it to the people. We just have to go all the way in on that, and yeah. um, you know, and because we we're willing to take risks. So there was. Um, these two competitors, but particularly Click, that really also helped sort of carve this um, space out there. But I think we just were so focused on the mission of democratizing data and bringing it to everyone and bringing it to people and doing it in a pretty different way. Our, our route to market was pretty different. Um, and, and I think that that gave us a lot of um, energy um, that that helped us. But but Click, yeah. they did great marketing um, and they yeah. were a great competitor. And it's a good thing to have great yeah. competitors is a good thing. Yeah. I don't know about for you, Udi, did, do you guys, uh, you know, do you look at some out there and go, or, ooh, you know, these guys make us better. You know? um, how, how do I do this in a way that is not condescending and not put anyone down? I'm, I'm not sure I found a way yet. Um, first, I'll start with, I of course agree with you, Alyssa uh, and, and Jason, you said this, you need competition. Uh, a, a very big warning sign is if you do not have competition. If you're the only one who sees the light and the need, you're probably not in the right room. Um, so we love having competition and especially in the last couple of years, like probably every month we see a new company that's somehow in our space pop up from somewhere. It's not just the US anymore. There's European and, yeah. and companies in other spaces that are popping up, which is amazing. I love this. And, and you know, when someone gets down because like, oh shoot, uh, they're copying us now and they're, they're trying to eat some of our pie. I'm like, here's how I think about it. 
we just got more marketing budget because everything they're spending <laughs> is promoting revenue intelligence. And since eight out of 10 customers buy Gong, if they're in the category, yeah. eight out of 10 buy Gong, nice. I'm enjoying their marketing budget. They're doing all the top of the funnel marketing for me. And all I need to do is show the Gong is better at the bottom of the funnel. And we do that really well. So I love having competitors. You said when you're like the contender, you can risk more and you have a little little to lose. Well, also when you're when you're the leader, the clear leader of the category, you have a lot to lose. Yeah. And it's just a different challenge. Uh, yeah. It's a fun challenge. I, I'm, you know, let's not lie about this. Everybody wants to be the leader of their category. Yeah, it's still a challenge. There's never an easy day. Yeah. And um, it's just different different sets of challenges. You know, uh, as we grow bigger, I, I do get more scrutinizing eyes from my board, my CFO, my CRO. Like, uh, you just did this like off-color joke in a commercial. Is that really uh, like the kind of company? <laughs> That's nice. true. I lived through that too, boy, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I know, Lisa, you had some fun ones. I know, just from being there, like it was great. And, and Udi, I love a lot of the stuff that you guys are doing too. And thanks so much again for your time today. Thanks so much for participating with me. Um, again, everybody, thanks for listening. You guys yeah, have a great holiday. So Happy holidays. Cheers. Happy great holidays, time. everyone. Really enjoy this. Me too. Me too. Take care. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and will tune in again. Find all of the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out.